Good morning, saints. I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21 will be our text this morning. And as you turn there, I just want to identify this text is a, a text for Christians. This text is a, a text of commands for people who have trusted in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as God would have it, Pastor Kevin led us through Ephesians 2 this morning that told us our natural condition that we were dead in our sin and trespasses, but God. And so if you have not trusted in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, then it is impossible for you to do the things that you are going to be hearing come from the word of God through my mouth this morning. And so I invite you now, if you haven't trusted in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, to look to him, the one who lived perfectly in the stead of sinners, who died in the stead of sinners, who was raised to life so that he might grant everlasting life to anyone who would trust in him. He ascended into heaven. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. If you haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ by that time, you will be condemned for all eternity. This text is a text for Christians. Place your trust in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, my friend. With that being said, I invite you to hear and receive the inspired and authoritative word of the triune God. Let me check this here. Let's see if that's helpful. Let me invite you once again. I invite you to now hear and receive the inspired and authoritative word of the triune God. He is the only true God, and this is his word, and we're just going to put this up here. Give me, give me a handheld. I don't know what's going on. Third time's a charm. But you, still, but you have to turn this on. <laughs> All right. I'm trying not to uh, interpret this as spiritual warfare, but it may be. I invite you to hear and receive the inspired and authoritative word of the triune God. He is the only true God, and this is his word. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, 
giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the joy that it is to gather together, to sing and to pray and to partake of the Lord's table and to give an offering unto you, acknowledging that you are the one who provides us with everything that we have to sit under the preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that you would encourage the saints this morning. Encourage them through your word, Lord. Help them to see what it is that they have in Christ and who they are in Christ. Help us to realize that we are, as Kevin mentioned earlier, seated in the heavenlies with the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are blessed beyond belief in the light of who we are in Christ, in light of our great salvation. Help us to walk in wisdom for your glory, for our good, and for the well-being of those under our influence. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, brothers and sisters, what a text we have before our eyes this morning. I don't remember the last time I was this excited to preach a text specifically to this church. Many of us are familiar with the Bible passages that follow this one. If you've done premarital or marital counseling with me, or with any of the other pastors, I would imagine that you've studied some of these texts. Perhaps if you've been through a parenting class, you've gone through some of these texts. Perhaps if you're in a difficult season of work, you've gone through some of these texts. We are familiar with the texts that follow this one. Specifically, we're familiar with the commands of those texts. For example, in chapter 5, verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands. 525, husbands, love your wives. 61, children, obey your parents. 64, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 65, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. 69, masters, stop your threatening. Some of the most famous commands in the book of Ephesians come after our text. And why does this matter for you and I this morning? Why does it matter? It's because our text, Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21, forms the foundation for faithful Christian living in the context of marriage, in the context of parenthood, the context of childhood, and in the realm of servanthood, which would roughly equate to uh, employment in our current context. In other words, we, we can't rightly talk about faithful Christian family. We can't rightly talk about the faithful Christian employee or employment if we don't rightly understand the Christian's call to walk in wisdom. And that's exactly what our text is about this morning. More than likely, you spend the majority of your time in two places, your home and or your workplace. Your home and or your workplace. And yes, we understand that that biblical wisdom ought to increasingly manifest itself 
in every Christian, in every place. But please realize, saints, that generally the primary places we're in, we have the most opportunities to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and to live winsomely by walking in wisdom is in the home and in the workplace. These opportunities in these places are the most simple because that's when and where we spend the most of our time. Well, we have the most opportunities in the home and in the workplace to exalt Christ, to live winsomely. Beware. Beware, because we must also recognize that the home and the workplace are the places where one might be most tempted to ignore or to disregard or to take less seriously the call to walk in wisdom. Some of you godly men may think to yourselves, the day has been long. I just want to go home and relax and unplug and perhaps even not think. Just want to be off in my man cave because I'm providing for the family. That's God's call upon my life. Yes, amen, that is God's call upon your life, but that's not his only call upon your life. By the grace of called, you are called and enabled to walk in wisdom in the home and outside of the home. Some of you precious, godly women, you wives and you mothers who faithfully labor in the home each and every day, you may be tempted many times a day to, to throw in the towel. You're, you're tired and the kids are upset and you have to clean and on and on and on and it's mundane. Your sister, you're called and enabled by the grace of God to walk in wisdom in the context of your home. And some of you children, you may be concerned about how you behave outside the walls of your house, but maybe you're tempted not to care as much about how you conduct yourself inside the walls of your home. By the grace of God, you're called and enabled to walk in wisdom in the context of that home. Furthermore, one may be tempted to go to the workplace and do what? Simply conform to the majority. If you haven't noticed, it's seemingly increasingly an uphill battle. After all, your, your coworkers might think you're weird if you don't laugh at their worldly jokes or if you declare a biblical truth. And as we've already heard this morning, we are weird. So just let that settle in. We, we shouldn't get along or mesh unnoticed with the world. By the grace of God, you are called and enabled to walk in wisdom in the context of that workplace. Our text is all about, if you haven't guessed it yet, walking in wisdom. And that's the title of this sermon, Walking in Wisdom. What we find in this text is the fifth and final walk in the book of Ephesians, which leads to the reality that we are to stand firm by putting on the full armor of God at the end of chapter 6. What do we need? What do we need 
if we're going to walk in wisdom. And this leads us to the main idea of our text. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21 presents three charges for you to walk in wisdom. And notice what it's for, beloved. It's not for your glory. It's not that people might look at you and say, what, what a godly person. It's not so that you might boast in your conduct. Rather, these charges for us to walk in wisdom is for God's glory, which is always for our good and for the well-being of those under our influence. And so what you're going to notice as we work our way through this text is our text often presents positive and negative commands. First, the negative actually, followed by a positive. And this reminds us that as Christians, there are some things that we are not to do and other things that we are to do. In other words, the Apostle Paul sets forth both prohibitions and prescriptions which strengthen and specify the Christian's call to walk in wisdom. One of the many reasons I love this text is it brings so much clarity on what it means for us to walk in wisdom. So the outline I provided for you emphasizes the prescriptions, those positive commands in our text. But fear not, we're going to cover the entirety of the text or I wouldn't be faithfully doing my job. Nevertheless, if you, if you are doing the positive aspect of the command, then by necessity, you're not doing what you ought not to be doing. And so we'll see that work itself out. Three charges for you to walk in wisdom. You need to pay attention to your walk. We'll see in verses 15 and 16. You need to understand God's will. We'll see in verse 17. And you need to be filled with God's spirit. So begin with me, if you will, in charge number one. Pay attention to your walk in verses 15 and 16. Let's read it again. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The first word in this verse is look. And when we hear that word look, we, we think of eyes and physical sight. I am looking at you presently. And that's how this word can be used. But this word is often used in a, a broader sense. In this context, what it means is internal perception. Not looking outward, but rather looking inward, looking toward oneself. We are to, to look, that is, we are to pay attention, to give intentional thought to, or to deeply consider something. And not only are we simply to pay attention, but we are to carefully pay attention to the manner in which we walk. We are to carefully pay attention to the manner in which we walk. The Spirit of God, by the pen of Paul, is calling Christians to have a serious and careful thought life about their consistent conduct, about their walk of life. The Spirit of God is calling Christians to have a serious thought life, a careful thought life, about how they behave, about how they conduct themselves. Let's pause here for just a moment. Do you seriously consider your conduct? Are you intentional about the way that you live your life? 
Are you just going with the flow, or do you have times before the Lord to carefully consider how you are walking? The Word of God calls us to do so. We are called to give thoughtful intention about how we're conducting ourselves. Not only are we commanded to look carefully how we walk, but we are to see to it that we are not walking unwisely, but rather that we are walking wisely. So what we see here as we continue in verse 15 is we see that the first prohibition prescription contrast. Not as unwise, but as wise. Walk not as unwise, but as wise. We are to walk wisely rather than walking unwisely. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 tells us this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And so we understand that biblical wisdom is distinct from worldly wisdom. Amen? We understand that. For there is no spiritual wisdom apart from the fear of the Lord. We have to get that. We have to understand that. There's a lot of people, a lot of spiritual people who have a lot to say And we can just toss it out the window because there's no such thing as spiritual wisdom apart from the fear of the Lord. And so in other words, one must have a legitimate understanding of the Lord, the triune God of the Bible, if he is to walk wisely. There are places in the Old Testament where the word wise simply refers to skill in life. Sometimes we can see that uh, someone in the Old Testament is called a wise farmer or a wise builder or something of that sort. And all that means is this, is that that person has advanced skill in their craft. And so we understand that there are some people, even people who aren't Christians, who can have advanced skill in their craft. We understand that. That's not what our text is talking about. The word wise in our context refers to having a wisdom from above. A wisdom of divine origin that works itself out in everyday life. That's what our text is talking about. Christian, you are to pay attention to your walk, to see to it that you're walking wisely and not unwisely. The word unwise refers to an inability, an inability to properly discern one's circumstances and therefore an inability to appropriately respond. We are to be wise, and we have to realize that God has enabled us to be wise by placing us in Christ. God has enabled each and every Christian to walk wisely by placing us in Christ. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 1. We remember Ephesians chapter 1 tells us all about our salvation. And look with me at verse 7. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on 
earth. This text tells you, Christian, you know the mystery of God's will. That's wild. You know the mystery of God's will, which is ultimately to unite all things in Christ. And so we are to walk wisely to make sure that we are living our lives accordingly. You may be thinking to yourself right now, but Pastor Kenny, you don't, you don't understand. It is difficult to see to it that I am walking in wisdom. And my response to you would be, no, you don't understand that I do understand. And more than that, God understands. More than that, God understands. And so in his grace, he has given us means to pay attention to our walk, that we are walking in wisdom. God understands. Let's see it in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 reads this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. My uh, abbreviated version, Jesus understands us, praise the Lord. And so God understands the difficulty of walking in wisdom such that he also provides us means. He's given us means to walk in wisdom. Listen to this in James chapter 1, verses 5 and 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, that's all of you. I include myself in that you. That's all of us. The natural man lacks wisdom. It's the man who's been placed in Christ who has now been enabled, yet even though you've been placed in Christ, you still at times lack wisdom. Can I get an amen? Oh, this is a humble group. I like this. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God. There's means. You lack wisdom, you ask God. Okay, well, will will God give us this wisdom? Oh, let's keep reading. Who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting for the one who Doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We're called to walk wise, wisely. We're enabled to walk wisely. And God has given, given us specific means to walk wisely. we got to ask him. And so, Christian, you need to pay attention to your walk and see to it that you are walking wisely, not unwisely. But How? other than asking God. The text continues, making the best use of the time. The Greek can literally be translated redeeming or buying back the time. And the idea is that the Christian is to walk wisely in part by using the time that has been granted to to him purposefully. The Christian is to walk wisely in part by using the time that God has granted him purposefully. And this is why some, translation, some translations read, making the most of the time or taking advantage of every opportunity. Beloved, you're on borrowed time. 
You're on borrowed time. Our time is not our own. This flies in the face of everything you're bombarded with each and every day. Follow your heart. That's bad. Seek your own desires. That's bad. I mean, just read Ephesians. It tells us that's bad, right? This is worldly wisdom. Just be true to yourself. Be your authentic self. I'm all about being authentic, but I need Jesus, and I need to do what he tells me to do. Amen? And so you have to realize that your time is not really your time. You remember back in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, we're told that we've been saved, and three times we're told it's to the praise of his glory. Verse 6, verse 12, verse 14. We've been saved, and it's to the praise of his glory. We have been saved to glorify God, and now we are to function to glorify God. And therefore, every moment of every day is an opportunity for you and I to walk in wisdom for God's glory. Lord, help us. I need help, and I would imagine that you need help as well. We have to be thoughtful. We have to be mindful If we are to walk wisely, and the text says making the best use of the time, then we have to start asking ourselves the hard questions. What what idols do we have to throw in the trash can? Is it social media? Is it video games? Is it excessive entertainment? What, What is it for you that you are passionate about and you spend so much time on that really, rather than making the best use of the time, you're wasting some of the time. We are to pay attention to our walk to assure that it is wise rather than an unwise walk by making the best use of the time. But why? Let's keep reading. Because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. The Ephesians lived in dark times, and so do we. There's nothing new under the sun. And so if you don't pay attention to your walk, then it's easy to what? It's easy to get just caught in the flow of the world system. If you're not paying attention to how you walk, then more likely than not, the things around you in the world are going to influence you, and the next thing you know, you're functioning like a Gentile, a pagan Gentile. But wait, time out. We're not what we once were, right? We remember in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's what we once were, but that's not who we are any longer in Christ. So we understand we are to walk wisely, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Many people are walking in sin. But it is you, the Christian church, people like you and I, That by paying attention to our walk and by walking in wisdom, we, the church, have an opportunity to influence those in these evil days simply by making the best use of our time. What a glorious call. That God would redeem us and then use our redeemed lives, that we would walk carefully, making the best use of every opportunity that the Lord has provided us, and he uses those things us being faithful to God's word to influence others and bring them into the church. Help us, Lord. We got to 
we got to be careful, guys. We as a church, we have to stop being surprised by the sin of unbelievers. We, we shouldn't be surprised. The world sins. We were part of the world, and what did we do? We, we just sinned. And then we, by God's grace, cared about our sin, and we saw our sin for what it was, and we confessed our sin, and, and we turned all by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, turned away from our sin, and now we're in this battle to continually fight our sin. We're just saying that by grace, what? We slay our, our sin. And so the world's going to be the world. Are you going to walk wisely? That's the question. Because the Lord uses Christians who are walking wisely to influence outsiders. Stop being surprised by the sin of unbelievers and have no fear of outsiders. Hear me now. Yes, hate sin. Yes, hate sin. But don't be surprised by it or fear man. Rather, walk in wisdom by making the best use of the time. Beloved, pay attention to your walk. Pay attention to your walk. And this brings us to the second charge for you to walk in wisdom, and that's understand God's will in verse 17. The text says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The first word of this verse is, therefore, it reaches back to that which we just covered in verses 15 and 16. And so what we have is really Paul just continuing on, and he's going to provide various nuances. In verses 17 through 21, the Spirit of God, through the pen of Paul, is going to further specify what it is to walk in wisdom. Not only does one need to pay attention, but one needs to understand God's will. And now we see the second prohibition prescription contrast. Don't be foolish, but understand God's will. So the prohibition, the negative command is, don't be foolish. The call is really the same in some sense as what we saw earlier in verse 15 when we were called not to walk unwisely. Well, the term unwise in verse 15 refers to the inability to properly discern. The term foolish in verse 17 speaks of the lack of properly applying knowledge. So there's a a minor nuance there. And what this nuance does is it sets forth the picture that a Christian can indeed become foolish if he is not paying attention to his walk and seeing to it that he walks wisely. And moreover, this nuance suggests that one can have knowledge, one can have true, genuine knowledge that they do not apply, which is folly. Do you hear that, church? That that you can know a lot of biblical truth. That you can know a lot of biblical things. But if you don't apply that knowledge, God's word says it's foolishness. And the Christian is not just no intellectual things, but rather they are to apply what they know in everyday life to the glory of God. So don't be foolish. Don't behave as you once were, in other words. Don't be the Christian who who knows what he ought to do but disregards it anyway. 
don't emphasize Christian theory without emphasizing Christian practice. Rather, the prescription is to understand what the will of the Lord is. The command is to understand God's will. And what I want to do right now is, is I want to get a little Greeky and or geeky on you. I want to give you a Greek lexicon's definition of the command to understand because I think it's overwhelmingly helpful. BDAG, standard Greek lexicon, says to understand in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 17 is, and I quote, to have an intellectual grasp of something that challenges one's thinking or practice. To understand, once again, is to have an intellectual grasp of something that challenges one's thinking or practice. So that means that the Christian is to comprehend, God, to comprehend God's will to such an extent that they are challenged in their natural thinking and in their natural practice. And I would add that this challenge is to the extent that our natural thinking and or our natural practice is eventually and increasingly overwhelmed and overturned to joyfully submit to God's will. It's not just, oh, that was challenging. But it's, it's an understanding, it's a wrestling such that your natural inclinations are overturned and you can joyfully do what the Lord has called you to do. Christian, you are to understand God's will. Let's make, we, make sure we understand what that means. This is really important for us to grasp. Throughout church history, theologians have helpfully identified two aspects of God's will. <clears throat> the first aspect is referred to as God's decorative or, or God's sovereign will, and the second aspect is referred to as God's perceptive or God's revealed will. And so God's decorative or God's sovereign will refers to God's internal decrees, he, his eternal desires, and his unchangeable counsel that he has not made known to man prior to their outworking that will inevitably come to pass. So, for example, um, you know how I knew my wife was going to be my wife when I said I'd do on our wedding day? You know who wasn't surprised by that? God wasn't surprised by that. that. That's part of his sovereign will. He doesn't learn, oh, Kenny's going to marry Tessie the day of our wedding. I learned that. It was part of his sovereign will. So that's an example of sovereign will. All right, well, what about the perceptive or revealed will? God's perceptive or revealed will refers to God's communicated precepts and or moral rules for man's conduct, which may or may not be obeyed. In other words, God's revealed will can be obeyed or disobeyed. And so, for example, when we read in a couple weeks here, husbands love your wives, that's something that can be obeyed or something that can be disobeyed. And so there are many places in Scripture where we can really see these two aspects of God's will, but the, pe but the place that we find both of them is in... Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 29. So turn there with me really quick so you guys can just see that this is a biblical concept. I'm not making this up on the fly. Deuteronomy chapter 29. 
verse 29. And we remember that, that Moses is really preaching right before the people of God are about to enter into the promised land. And he is proclaiming God's word. So this is he's revealing God's word as he's preaching to the people of Israel. And listen to what it says here in Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And so in other words, the first little phrase there, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, that's God's sovereign will. There are secret things that God has not revealed to man, and they belong to who? To God, And so if they belong to God, we shouldn't be trying to figure them out. We shouldn't try to, to understand them because they belong to God, not to us. Amen? Okay, well, there's more, though. But the things that are revealed, and so now we're talking about perceptive or revealed will, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Why? That we may do all the words of this law. In other words, that we might obey what God has revealed for us to do. And so there we have it, right there in one verse. I love that when that happens, when there's a theological concept and it's just in one verse for us. Isn't that glorious? We have the sovereign will of God, the revealed will of God, right there in Deuteronomy 29, 29. Back to our text in Ephesians, we are to understand the will of the Lord. Well, which one are we to understand, God's sovereign will or God's revealed will? Talk to me now. Okay, you're a smart crowd. I love it. So we have to understand this. We're not getting into any, any kind of, of mysticism. We're not getting any, into any kind of, I, I need to go and on some spiritual retreat and have an experience so I should know what I'm supposed to do. Uh, we're not scratching our hand, heads. We're not doing weird things. What we're saying is God has revealed his will primarily through his word. And so, we are to understand the revealed will of God. What does it mean for you and I, practically speaking? I have nothing new to say here. It means you've got to be in the Word, Christian. It means you have to be in the Word, Christian. It means that we are to be in the Word of God to understand the will of God such that our natural inclinations are overwhelmed and overturned so that we might joyfully submit to what the Lord has said. That's what it means. That's what it means to understand the will of God. Situations are going to rise today and tomorrow and this week and really for the rest of your life wherein you are called to understand what God's will is almost instantaneously. How in the world are you going to instantaneously understand what God's will is and joyfully submit to it? The only way to do that faithfully and consistently is to know the word, to be in the word, and to be prayerful over the word. So get in the word, saints. I mean this with every fiber of my being as your pastor, speaking on behalf of the pastors. Be in the word of God. And you don't get out of that word until your natural inclinations are overwhelmed and overturned to joyfully submit to the Lord. And be encouraged. 
be encouraged also. And know that the Lord loves to help his children who are in need, such that he's given us his word in prayer. So pay attention to your walk. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And this brings us to the third charge for you to walk in wisdom. Be filled with God's spirit. Be filled with God's spirit. Read with me, please, verses 18 through 21. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. First word in verse 18 is and. And once again, Paul's doing more of the same. It's reaching back to verse 17. And the Spirit of God, through the pen of Paul, continues to further specify what it is to walk in wisdom. Not only does one need to understand God's will, but they also need to be filled with the Spirit. And we get our third and final prohibition, prescription, contrast. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so let's look at the prohibition, which is do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. And again, these words are, are related. We have unwise in verse 15, we have foolish in verse 17, and we have another nuanced repetition of the calls that we saw earlier. Why, or how do we see this? A drunk person is not in control of their minds. A drunk person is not in control of their minds. They relax or they lose their self-control. And thus, what do we see? We see that oftentimes drunk people act unwisely and foolishly and are unable to understand the will of God. Rather, they entice and gratify the desires of the flesh. Notice that drunkenness is the sin and wine is the means by which one gets drunk in this text. Drunkenness is the sin, wine is the means by which one gets drunk. Sadly, I've heard some people argue from this very text, it's okay to get drunk insofar as it's not with wine. That's called utter foolishness in using the word of God to somehow try to justify your fleshly desires. That's, that's bad news. No, that, that's not what's being said here. Contextually, wine is the primary means to drunkenness that one would have access to in that day and age. Nevertheless, drunkenness is the sin. And, and I want to be clear here. For some people, drinking alcohol, period, may be a sin. That's true. But we would be saying more than Scripture says if we held the view that drinking alcohol is a sin for everyone. There are cultures and contexts wherein I would argue that a Christian drinking alcohol at best is unwise and at worst is sin. What we want to be crystal clear on is this, though. What I mean by this is we must agree, Christian, we must agree on this, that drunkenness is a sin. Amen? Some of you need to hear that. Do not get drunk. Put it away. It's foolishness. It's folly. And it generally, generally leads to many other sins. 
Listen to the warnings of Proverbs about drunkenness. Turn to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1 with me. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. says, wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Turn a few pages over to Proverbs chapter 23, beginning in verse 19. father pleading with his son. He says, hear my son and be wise and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. And again in the same chapter, Proverbs 23 verses 31 through 35. It says, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. That's strong language, strong warning against drunkenness. So do not get drunk. But before Paul gets to the next prescription, he he gives us some detail concerning being drunk. He says, for that is debauchery. For that is debauchery. The idea behind this word, it's translated in various ways, um, but the idea behind this word is wastefulness is wastefulness. When we were discussing this passage in our elders meeting, Pastor Kevin remembered hearing from somewhere that this is where we get the the concept of being wasted, of being wasted. That's where that comes from. And I looked into it, and Pastor Kevin was dead on. That's, That's exactly right. But sadly, such phraseology is used jokingly in our day and age. People use it to speak of their drunken state. I mean, I was wasted last night. Almost as if you glory in it. But when we just pause and we think for a moment, it is true that those who persist in drunkenness are literally wasted in the sense that they are not making the best use of the time. Rather, they are wasting their time by conducting themselves in a disorderly manner. Have mercy on them, Lord. It's so just out there in our day and age. Oh, drunkenness is part of society. But when we read about what the Bible says about drunkenness, we should grieve. We should pray. We should intercede. Not only in prayer, but sometimes physically as well. The Christian is not to be wasted and thus waste their lives. Rather, what they are to do is to be filled with the Spirit. 
or better in my opinion, be filled by the Spirit. Listen to what commentator Harold Holner says on this contrast. He says, and I quote, The contrast is not between the wine and the Spirit, but between the two states expressed by the two verbs. Being drunk with wine leads to dissipation, but being filled by the Spirit leads to joy and fellowship and obedience to the commands of the Lord's will. Believer, you are to be filled with the Spirit, and this is a command from the Lord. And we want to clarify here as well, there's a lot of uh, confusion over what, what does this mean to be filled with the Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is distinct from the other ministries of the Holy Spirit, which occur at regeneration and conversion. So let me give you a few of them. For instance, the indwelling of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit is not commanded because it is a gift that we receive at, in salvation. And so, for example, 1 John chapter 3, verse 24 reads, Whoever keeps his commandments abide in, abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Or 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, he says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. This happens at regeneration, at conversion. This is a gift from God. It's what you are in Christ. It's what you have in Christ. It's not a command for you. Again, the sealing of the spirit. We already looked at this in Ephesians chapter 1. The sealing of the spirit is not commanded because it is a gift that we receive in salvation. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so a distinction between filling and indwelling, a distinction between filling and sealing. One final distinction, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is nowhere commanded in Scripture because it is a gift that we receive in salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 speaks of the baptism of the Spirit. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. This happens at conversion, a gift from God in salvation. However, we are commanded to be filled by the Spirit. So what in the world does it mean to be filled by the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit, and how is it done? Well, first, what does it mean? To be filled with the Spirit simply means that you are under control, that you are under the control of the third person of the triune God such that you acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ and joyfully submit to his commands unto the glory of God. I'll give that again. To be filled with the Holy Spirit simply means that you are under the control of the third person of the triune God such that you acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ and joyfully submit to his commands unto the glory of God. Now, how is it done? Once again, we don't have to do anything weird. We don't have to do anything magical or, or mystical. It's pretty simple. Once again, the Lord provides means. We don't fill ourselves. Rather, we are to be filled by the Spirit. And what are the means that the Lord provides? So that you and I might be filled with the Spirit, 
once again, I don't have anything new for you. The primary means by which we are filled with the Spirit is the Word. Look uh, with me just briefly at Colossians chapter 3. What we have in Colossians chapter 3 is really in part a parallel passage of what we're preaching in Ephesians 5 here. But look at what Paul says in Colossians 3.16. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And notice what happens after that. If that's going on, if the word of Christ is, is dwelling in you richly, then it manifests itself in the following, continuing in verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so, so if we drink the word of Christ, if you will, then the word of Christ is what comes, springs up out of us. We have the word in prayer, and we have the word in fellowship, and we have the word preached, and we have the word sung. We need to be in the word, not only to know and understand the will of God, but also to be filled by the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, the word is also, and where the word of the Lord is, the Spirit is also, is how I like to think of it. Now, saint, be filled with the Spirit by means of the Word. And this is the last question I have for us. How do you know if you're filled with the Spirit of God? How do you know if you're filled with the Spirit of God? A lot of times these questions, you guys can just read ahead of me and you'll get the answer. Just keep reading is so often the answer. We, we, we take these little snippets out of the Bible and we, we try to theorize it. And just keep reading. It gives us the answer. Being filled with the Spirit has tangible, observable results. Being filled with the Spirit manifests itself. The text gives us five participles translated as ing words in the English to indicate the results of being filled with the Spirit. We see addressing in verse 19, we see singing in verse 19, we see making in verse 19, we see giving in verse 20, and we see submitting in verse 21. And we will categorize these five participles in, in four ways. First is external worship. External worship. Look with me at verse 19, and it says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs couple things I want to note here. First is, not yet, we'll get there, but not yet does the text say we're addressing God. Rather, it says that we're addressing one another. So church music is, yes, offered to God, but also offered to one another. That's why the musicians shouldn't drown out the congregation, and that's why each and every one of you should lift your voices. Because we are to sing to one another. There's an external aspect of worship that, that we are outwardly showing our praise to the Lord in this context through song. So there's external worship, but there's also internal worship. Continuing in verse 19, it says, Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And so now we have the to the Lord, we're addressing one another, but at the same time we're also singing, making melody to the Lord internally with our heart. We can do a lot of things externally, can't we? 
We can clap our hands. We can sway. We can raise our hands. Some of I love sitting in the back sometimes just seeing how people worship the Lord externally. It's all for naught if it isn't from the heart. It's all for naught. You might be able to, to fool others, but you can't fool God who sees the heart. And so we're to have external worship and internal worship. And then look at verse 20. I mean, this is a sermon in and of itself. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always and for everything. I want you to be honest with yourself, saint. And just ask yourself, do I complain more than I give thanks? Do I grumble more than I give thanks? Do I gossip more than I give thanks? Do I slander more than I give thanks? If that's the case, then it's an indication that you're not filled with the Spirit when you're doing those things. Beloved, we're to give thanks to God always and for everything. And there are times where if you just listen, you're going to learn the proclivities of those around you, if they're thanksgivers or if they're grumblers. And a helpful encouragement from uh, Ephesians 5, verse 20, may be the best way that you can love your brother or sister. We are to be thanksgivers. And lastly, verse 21, submission. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We have to rightly understand what's being said here. One time I was at a coffee bean and I was working on my very first wedding sermon. I was excited to do it. What text do you preach at your first wedding? Well, if your name's Kenny Kaufman, it's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. That's, the, that's safe, right? That's what, I mean, I can't get that wrong. Well, here I am. I'm working in coffee bean. I'm working on it. A pastor who I knew wasn't serving at the same church with walked in, and he said, hey, what are you doing? He saw my stack of books, and I was working on it. I said, I'm working on a sermon for a wedding. He says to me, make sure you don't forget verse 21, after I had told him that I was doing 22 through 33. Because wives are to submit to their husbands, but husbands are also to submit to their wives. That's not right. That's not right. Look what's said here. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If the text stops there, then maybe we would have an argument. But what Paul's going to do in Ephesians 5.22 through Ephesians 6.9 is he's going, to, he's going to go on to give explicit applications of what that means. And so what we have first is wives to husbands, then children to parents, then slaves to masters. Wives are to submit to their husbands. Children are to submit, to submit to their parents. Slaves are to submit to their masters. We would all be upset if I preached, parents, submit to your children. You should be like, what in the world are you talking about? So it is with this text. We all have somebody to submit to. 
Husbands, you better be submitting to the Lord because you're called in a few verses to love your wives. And when you're loving your wives well, you know who's easy to submit to? You are, unless your wife has a problem with the Lord. Because her submission is a her and God thing, primarily. But as you love your wife, it should be a joy for her to submit to you unto God's glory. So we have to understand that all Christians have someone to submit to. We all submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand that members are to submit to, to church leaders. We understand that wives are to submit to husbands, that, that children are to submit to parents, that the bond servants are to submit to masters. This is part of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't rightly understand Ephesians 5, 22 and onward if we don't rightly understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. And hopefully we can encourage one another once we get to that text that our roles, that our God-given roles in the context of the home and in the context of the family and the context of employment are first and foremost an opportunity for us to honor God rather than to just think of it as a horizontal relationship. These four categories, external worship, internal worship, thankfulness, and submission, help us to know what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. So, beloved, pay attention to your walk. Understand God's will and be filled with the Spirit. These three charges are presented for you and I to walk in wisdom, which is for God's glory, your good, and for the well-being of those under your influence. And I simply want to finish as we began. We acknowledge that the primary places for us to carry this out, this idea of walking in wisdom, is in the home and in the workplace. Saints, walk in wisdom this week, in your home, and in your workplaces. And wherever your two feet might be, that God might be glorified, that you might be benefited, and that they may, there might be a godly influence for those in your sphere. Lord, help us to walk in wisdom. Help us to live for you. Help us to be men and women of this church who understand that we are to look carefully to pay attention to our walk, that we are to understand your will as you've revealed it through your word and that we are to be filled with the spirit as we take advantage of the means that you have given us. Lord, it is a glorious and great thing to be a Christian. And press that upon our hearts that we might take our call seriously to walk in wisdom. Even now, impress it upon our hearts that it is a great and glorious privilege to be a child of God to be placed in Christ. Therefore, help us to walk as we ought. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.